When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. It was a less than glamorous four losses at home for the regions this weekend. So, uh, yeah, quite possibly a sign of things to come. But there's lots of other stuff going on as well outside of that. We've got uh, coaching appointments potentially. We could have uh, a South African wonder kid who's eligible for, for Wales. All sorts of things to talk about. Uh, along with the continuing who is going to play number 10 for Wales during the Six Nations, which I think is probably going to be a regular weekly feature on this uh, on this podcast. So all of that to come. And uh, I'm delighted to say joining me to do that this evening is good friend of the show, regular contributor, I'm delighted to say now. It's Paul Reese. How are you, Paul? Good, thank you. You, Jed? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. As I was just saying, ideal preparation for this podcast, negotiating with, uh, with a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Filled with tantrums, so not uh, not too dissimilar to, uh, to to Welsh rugby. Um, where to start? Right, I want to start with this one, Paul. Um, now reports emerged last week that Paul Turner was set to rejoin the Dragons in some kind of advisory role. It seems to have caused a bit of a stir with with Dyke Flanagan, who's not best happy about the the kind of the the leak to the press and this coming out in the press and. Seems to have sparked a bit of a bit of speculation. What have you made of this, and how do you think this might end? <clears throat> well, according to the according to the dragons in the last hour, Turner will be with them for the remainder of the season as a consultant. A consultant's one of those vague terms, though, isn't it? Because it is. you know, a, a coaching consultant could be you know, and given Paul's kind of. Um, raft of skills that could be anything from director of rugby to teaching people how to back heel conversions over you know it could be all it could be all sorts so how do you think you know Di Flanagan seemed to say that you know he had a very good relationship with Paul Turner he's got you know a huge amount of a huge amount of knowledge etc but 
where do you see Paul Turner fitting into that into that coaching setup? Well, if you look at <clears throat> other clubs who've, who've gone down this road, I remember Steve, Steve Diamond when um, Jonathan Thomas was um, was head coach of Worcester. They brought mm. Diamond in as a consultant, didn't they? And within a few months, um, Jonathan Thomas was at the door, and Diamond stayed as consultant the remainder of the season, then took over as director of rugby, and then Worcester went bust, and we we know what happened there. But I think you know if you bring somebody in as a as part of the coaching team. Ultimately, they answer to the head coach or director of rugby, whatever the the head of the setup is. But if you bring somebody in as a consultant, he will answer to the chief executive. Mm. So it's 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 um it's it's it'll be a wide wide ranging role, and, and Turner will be able to make of it what he wants. And let's face it, <clears throat> the position the Dragons are in yet again, um, you know they 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 need somebody of his caliber and experience to to start pointing the way because I mean how how long can they go on? I was talking to some Dragon supporters today and you know their season's what a month old and they're they're already despairing, having watched yeah. much the same as, as the last last few years. Yeah, I mean there's no there's no denying that. Um I mean the the reality is though is there starts to become you know some themes you can look at and say, okay we started the season like this under Di Flanagan. Started the previous two seasons like this under Dean Ryan. Uh, we started the, you know, you could you could draw that back to, to numerous different coaches. And you know, I, I really rate Paul Turner. I think you know he's got a huge amount of knowledge to to bring. You know, he's he's added a huge amount at pretty much every club he's been at in the past. But I do worry what this does for kind of. I mean, realistically, in a, in a league where there's no relegation, would it not be better to let Di have um, I don't know. Have the opportunity to to at least leave his mark on it. He's only been proper head coach since since January this year. I kind of think you know, let him run with it and see and see how he can. How he can. I I don't know. I, I I'm I am a bit worried that this could up, upset the apple cart a bit, and you end up with uh, with Turner coming in as you know essentially as a a director of rugby head coach hybrid that then moves moves die out of the way. Yeah, could 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 well happen. As I say, that's, that's exactly what happened. It was, and I suppose it depends how Paul Turner sees the role. Also, you know how the how the Dragons board see it. Mm. Whether whether they are bringing him in with a mind to to putting him in charge at some point. Yeah, you know, from, from from their point of view, you know, it's been such a. I mean, all, all, for the last twenty years, I mean, there hasn't been an awful lot for the Dragons to cheer about, has there? And, how would you get out of this rut? And what what, what was the what was the gate against Leinster? Was it five thousand? Know, there were a few few Leinster fans. I mean, that's that's not enough to sustain a successful professional team. It's nowhere near enough. No. Um, you know, they've got to they've got to change. Was it was the parlance at the time? Change the narrative. But they had you know, and and, it, and it's you know, not not small change. It has to be something fairly significant. But I mean, how do you how do you change the narrative without without getting results on the pitch? And really, you know, you're right. I don't know. I mean, look, results might pick up with with Paul Turner around. They might pick up if he becomes head coach. I don't see them picking up under anyone. I think you could have the you know the the reincarnation AI boosted version of Carwin James in there, <laughs> and I'm not sure you could get much more out well, than than well. I mean, I mean, some of the parts they've probably beaten Cardiff. Yeah. 
they'd have probably beaten Edinburgh. Yeah, that's true. They would okay. They wouldn't have won in Munster, and they wouldn't have beaten Leinster. But you know, you at the moment you wouldn't expect them even even Leinster. That's sort of you know two thirds cock as they were, um, and, and Munster went full ball. But you know, it's 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 winning the games that you've got a you've got a chance of winning. That's get, yeah. That's that's what they that's what they have to start doing, isn't it? And, and oh, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. But again. We- we have seen this before. You know, we saw it at the start. I think if you go back two seasons ago, before things uh, turned really sour with Dean Ryan and the players, they had a really good start to the season in terms of intensity and had a brilliant mm. 40, 50 minutes in them. And again, very similar. I seem to remember failing to put the Ospreys away, first home game of the season. Uh, and again, another similar result. Um, I can't remember who against, probably Cardiff, um, you know, failing to put them away. And... It's essentially the, the same now. So I don't. And Dean Ryan had had bags and bags of experience, you know, and a huge coaching, um, a huge coaching CV. And that not only did that not work and get those results, then it turned really, really sour. So I think it, I, to me, it, it kind of feels like it must be more than just it must be more than just the head coach and the person picking the team as to why you can't get over the line in these games. Well, yeah, and and you know, you're mentioning not finishing off games. You know, to finish off games, you need a bench. Hmm. And what sort of bench over the years have the Dragons had? I mean, they've tended to be the the fourth of the the regions in terms of in terms of funding, haven't they? Um, and already operating on a budget lower than most of the URC rivals. That is, you know, that that is that is when a, a low budget tells, especially if you if you if you've got a run of injuries. The time, you know, you can bring players on. Look, would South Africa have won the World Cup without their bench? No, I'd say no. So hugely important these days, and it's it's where you know certainly in I was going to say Europe, but it's not Europe anymore. Europe and South Africa in the Champions Cup, Challenge Cup, uh, especially Champions Cup. You know the the difference in in the quality of the benches often often shows when the Welsh regions are playing even English opposition. Well, that's true, and again, it brings you know again none of these things are new. You know we've seen that for over yep. a decade now. You know you you think back to when they, those initial periods of dominance by the French and, and Saracens and Leinster and everyone else, you know, those, the, the quality that they bring off the bench is, you know, is, is absolutely miles better than, than anything that the Welsh sides can, can do. But again, you know, what, what, what's the answer? There's no more money in Wales. If, if anything, nope. purse, purse strings are, are going to be tightened more so as we've seen in terms yes. of the playing budget. So, you know, is, I don't know, it just, it just begs the question, if it is down to just money and, you know, and, and a huge chunk of it is. What on earth can be done about it, or are we just expected to, you know, to watch the watch the teams kind of play at best gallantly and try and stay and try and stay in the competitions and um, and hate for the best? I think, I mean, like with everything, it's it's making the most of what you've got, isn't it? Mm. And maybe that's that's where someone like Turner can come in, especially when it comes to the creative side. You know, it didn't they didn't score a try against Cardiff, did they? You know, and, yeah. Can, you know, just change, changing outlook a, a little bit, maybe more heads up, um, and you can turn some of those narrow, narrow defeats into victories. But it's it's making the most of what you've got. That's all you can do. I mean, you know, Leicester City winning England's Premier League eight years ago was a classic example. They weren't the richest by any means, but they were that season. They were the most together, and that mm. that that does count for something. Oh yeah, absolutely does. Um, I mean, I, I suppose yeah. But we won't, we won't get into the to the Con- next Con- example. Con- Connaught, that's a, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. 
which is the yeah. same year as Leicester City won, wasn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very good point. And, yeah, so I, I suppose that's, you're right, that's, that's kind of what we, we've got to do because I think there's no denying that there is talent in, in all of the regions. We know that, yeah. you know, we, we see it week in and we're seeing even more young talent exposed to it. But you're right, it just, the, the concern is that the more you just throw the kids out there, yes, it's great experience for them and it might be a good breeding ground for for them to be potentially become internationals, but the 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 interest in those in those teams in terms of as a as a spectacle and people prepared to part with their hard earned cash is gonna is gonna diminish even more so. I mean what I would say this weekend is although it was four from four, there weren't any, you know, the Dragons were the, the heaviest defeat out of that. I think they were the heaviest defeat in the whole league that 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 weekend. So it looks as though there is a you know a, a better degree of um of competition but it's also very hard to gauge when you've got teams missing huge, you know, still missing internationals and things like that. And they and and, and all four were at home, weren't they? Mm. Which is sort of and and not against not against top ranked opposition. No, no. Well, that's true, and um, yeah, that certainly certainly concerns um, on on that front. Um, we've had some good listeners' questions in as well this week, which I want to touch on a few of these, Paul. Uh, and they're, they're quite closely linked to uh, to talent development and, and how the regions get on. Um, I wanted to touch on this one first from Robert Evans, who says, what are your thoughts on the regions' academy setup? Are we focusing enough resources there? Uh, do we need to look down the route of, uh, of investing into schools? Um it kind of mentions private schools specifically in relation to the Irish system. Is this something that, that the that the WRU could be looking at in the same way that, um, you know, that has proved so successful for Ireland? Not that I'm suggesting the IRFU are necessarily um, putting huge chunks of money into into those places, but there is, um, you know, we know that that, that private school model churns out um, top quality players for particularly for Leinster. Uh, is there something? I'm not saying it needs to be private, but is there something perhaps that um, that we could be looking at in Wales where um, there is a, a bigger concentration on the, the the quality of coaching and facilities within within the school system? For sure, yeah. I mean, I think about a decade ago, the Welsh Rugby Union were going down that route, where they sort of cherry picking a few schools to try and get that. But I mean, I mean, the problem with with this is the union, the regions have always tended to operate. At loggerheads over this, haven't they? Um, and to me, it's a, it's a two-part thing. One, it's, it's it's setting up the academies, so you're bringing players through. But once they're coming through, at the moment, how much are they playing? Mm. You know, they almost seem to be you know watching the regions play or sort of you know, sit, sitting on a bench, maybe getting a couple of minutes. Whereas, you know, again, if you join everything up, what is the what is the purpose? We've talked about this before. The purpose of the Welsh Premiership. That should be, you know, your vehicle for giving academy recruits match experience. Especially if you could, if you could have a few old hands in, in, in the club size as well. But I mean, it tends, I don't know, it just tends to be a stagnant pond. The Premiership, doesn't it? I mean, mm. it's not not serving. It's, it's 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 not a vehicle for those who are emerging, and it's not a sort of step down for those who are. You're coming to the end of the professional careers, and so it's it's doesn't seem to be serving any sort of purpose. So the whole system is is, is almost fighting itself, um, and that's why you know so many, so many you know, Wales players, you know, have their um, have their academy education over the border. 
Yeah, and just to go back to that point, you know, as you mentioned, it's not a, a new thing for the the regions to be at loggerheads with the WRU. But in fact, do you think that dynamic might have changed somewhat? I kind of almost feel like now that the regions are in a position where they are just dependent on that handout from the WRU and the WRU, oh, um, yeah. you know, have either are either going to just cut cut off that supply and watch them and watch them kind of dwindle over the next few years, or they are going to have to realise that they need them there to. Um, for the players to to get game time, I just wonder whether that perhaps all of the uh, all of the civil war this year might have woken a few people up to to what needs to be done at, at regional level. And I know it's not going to change overnight, but it, it does kind of make you think. Well, if you can't afford to attract top quality talent uh, and compete with compete with the English and French sides, well, particularly the French sides, um, then is the best route to look to strengthen from the ground up you know is there is there anyone within the union or within the the regions who you know has the the power to push something like that through <clears throat> it's a sort of new union now isn't it it's very much um, mm. an executive led union not before time in, in my view rather than um a, 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 a sort of um an elected one and so they they should have the power to make decisions. Ultimately, they'll come down to finance. Certainly, initially, I mean, if you're if you're taking money away from regions to operate the the professional side, you then provide more to help them run academies. And I think you know another thing for Wales, which you know back in the day wasn't an issue, was you know rugby was you know very much a progression, wasn't it, in South Wales? Um, it was it was rooted in communities. Less so now, far mm. less so. Really, you've really got to work to um, to persuade the young, not just to take up the game, but to keep keep playing it, especially when they reach that sort of key age of 16 and size and physicality becomes an issue and those who don't relish physical contact decide it's, it's maybe not, not the game for them. Um, but that, take, that takes time and resources. It takes, takes, takes bodies on the ground. And at the moment when you're, 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 you're struggling to, to put a professional squad together, you can't give you full attention, can you? No, you can't. And I, I mean, I just think that, you know, like we said, it, it feels like the, the sides are just drifting into, you know, into mediocrity. Watching Scrum 5 last night, you talk about changing the narrative. There's no narrative with any of these sides, really, at the moment, is there? You, you know, it's not like with, what, three, four games into the season. It's not even like you say, oh, there's a, you know, there's a playoff push coming from one of them. Yeah. The sides we have, the exceptionally Ospreys have won two games, are languishing right down the bottom of the table. You know, if there's a narrative there at the moment, it's can't get over the line at home, and that's not a great way. That's not a great advert for getting people excited or, or interested. And again, I'm not blaming the teams necessarily because I think there is what we're seeing here is the the years of, of underfunding and the years of having yeah. a neither one thing nor the other model. Yeah, and and I, I remember. I was in Leinster, crikey, five, six, seven years ago. They were playing playing Bath in the Champions Cup, and Gary Ringrose was had just come come out of the academy. And I was talking to, to somebody there about it, and you know the number of full time coaches they have, you know, within the within the school system there. I mean, it's you know they again they're in a fortunate position where because they're. You know, it's effectively a franchise model. You know, the income they get from from the Irish rugby football union means that they're not unlike the the, the regions; they don't have to scrimp mm. and save. 
so they can afford to have this to have this incredible system serve them and, and yeah they've got so many players coming through that, that many of them have to drift to the to the other provinces don't they like them Joey Carberry being, being an example because they haven't got room for them all but it's it's just incredible how many how many they bring through but it's it's not an accident it's 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 you know it's it's it's, it's by by design by by a lot of hard work and organization well it is and also I suppose you know it goes back to that pivotal point of professionalization when you had you know Wales had always had a strong vibrant club scene in terms of the the interest in it but that was never going to lend itself to to professionalism whereas Ireland didn't have that you know to be honest did it you know yes it had a club rugby scene but it would never have been the same level as as the Welsh but what it did have is four provinces that historically had played as teams they are a thing they're not just made up franchises you know they are they are historic um provinces that have a sense of identity and things as well and that kind of lent, lent itself well because you could then you know and and it's been it's been executed brilliantly and has taken advantage of the of the private school system to um to flood it through with players but again even then it, it, you know those things do not happen overnight they happen over the, the mm. course of the course of decades you know you you go right way back to the to the early 2000 well the certainly the late 90s and Leinster weren't commanding big European gates when they first started playing in Europe, were they? You know, they were playing in front of pretty modest crowds. But it's as but the, they, they, they and Munster were playing in front of crowds between two and three thousand. Yeah, they used Europe as their their, their their sort of model to build, targeting Europe, do well in Europe, attract attract crowds, attract crowds. Then you know, sponsors backers come on board, your revenue go. In, increases and suddenly you, you know, you have that dynamic thing. Munster were, were before Leinster, just before a couple of years before. But I mean, you look at the two thousand twenty tens and the success those two had in in Europe was was phenomenal. Yeah, but it was yeah. again, it was it was very much deliberate. Whereas, whereas I mean, we were we were clubs until two thousand three. Then the region start and it's it's it never got going. You look at <clears throat> the success of French club rugby; they've had a league system for. Well, over a hundred years, mm. longer than anyone else in Europe. So, I mean, it's 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 part of French rugby. You couldn't you couldn't dismantle that if you wanted to. It is it is more rooted than the, than the national side. Um, but it's you know, and, and and it's the same with the with the Irish provinces, whereas Wales, the regions, Scotland, their their two sides, Italy, their sides. I mean, they're they're very recent phenomena. Yeah, they are. This is um, it's fascinating stuff. Paul. again, I dare say we won't necessarily have all the answers tonight, but. Um... Keen to kind of dig into this a bit deeper. We're going to take a very quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to have uh, a bit more of an explore about how we can potentially answer some of these um, some of these biggest quandaries that uh, that Welsh rugby is facing. We're going to also going to have a look at um, uh, a look back at some of the weekend as well, and we're going to look ahead to uh, to some of those players who are kind of staking a claim ahead of the the Six Nations at the start of next year as well. So all that coming up after this quick break. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
yeah really interesting stuff paul um yeah i i always feel like when we when we kind of uh, have a chat it, it poses more questions than answers yeah. um uh but i suppose that is the that is kind of the the nature of of where we're at but particularly right now and i think that it kind of speaks volumes that a weekend where all four sides lost at home hasn't really generated that much by way of a surprise no. do you know I, it doesn't no. it's in the kind of much you know many no. headlines at all because i don't think it is headline news really no <clears throat> i mean it, you know it should it, you know, it should be a, a, a lot of outrage and also you know you look at um you know wales in 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 this world cup especially the game against against australia um, and you look at them you, you, under Gatlin, you know, players arriving from regions with a sort of heads down, and suddenly they look totally different beasts in a in a Wales jersey. And that's, you know, that's that's something. Sh- I mean, it shouldn't be so stark. That should it? They should be, you know, for Wales, they should be reflecting reflecting their regional form. And it's just it's the huge, the huge, the huge gulf. I mean, someone like. Um, you know, Iron Wainwright. I mean, when when Gatlin left, he just suddenly seemed to know. So Gatlin comes back, and he's looking a very good player again. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, there, there's numerous numerous players like that. I think you know Ryan Elias. You could put into that mould, and he had an excellent game yeah. again this weekend. Actually, yeah. superb. But um, there were lots of those players who read. You know, again, Tompkins had a real shot in the arm. Lots of players who fall into that mould. But famously, kind of Gatlin was quite open in saying that. He quite likes, you know, he came on our podcast and told us this, that he liked having the opportunity to to really kind of rally the troops, if you like. He, you know, he kind of liked the fact that they looked forward to coming to play for Wales because life was generally quite drab and, and difficult yeah. at, um, at regional level. Do you think that attitude has changed this time around, though? Because I think, you know, he's come back into the job within a month of being in charge. He's got that player strike and, and perhaps a, a real stark reality that even someone with the knowledge that he's got that the you know the walls and the foundations are, are starting to crumble it feels to me this time around like he's not just here as a head coach I don't think he can be because it's you wouldn't you know you wouldn't take this on you know you might come back to the world cup assignment but then you'd walk on after that I, I don't know I feel like this time around he's kind of got to be part of the solution rather than just the head coach of Wales if you see what I mean you you want him to leave a legacy? I think that, so. That that and that uh, yeah, and that legacy would be almost as, as a not quite a director of rugby, but you're somebody who can you know have an input into the regions as well, rather mm. than just rather than just Wales, because you know if his next successor is to do well, and and the ones afterwards, you know they they're going to need more from from the regions. So you, it, it would be, it would be good if Gatlin could somehow get in there, but that would mean him not devoting the same amount of time to Wales, and, mm. and at, the, at the moment, do they go down that road, or do they, do they want him to be full time? But I, but I think you're right. You, you want him to leave a legacy this time. I suppose what's different this time is there's no, you know, there's no break of eighteen months where he's off coaching the Lions. No. So uh, again, you know, that in terms of overall time that he's able to dedicate I kind of feel like that yeah you know I I know it's not as straightforward as saying well reallocate that Lions time to answering all of Welsh rugby's woes I just feel like you're right there there needs to be certain things that you want 
to get out of him this time above and beyond just the, I say just, you know, above and beyond being the head coach of Wales because, you know, he knows what it's like to to coach that side, to, to see the, he'll be able to compare the talent that has come through now versus the talent in 2008 and 12 and at various other points. And we'll be able to inform Nigel Walker and whoever else is tasked with, um, with the, the structure and the strategy behind this, whether or not we're in a we're in a good enough position, and I think we're about to find that out now. You know, particularly particularly in key positions, ten, well, you, fifteen, tight head. You know, these are yep. going to be some tough questions. Exactly. I mean, that's those half classic example, isn't it? You lose a couple of couple of players and a few injuries on top, and all of a sudden, you know, what have you got? And foot fall back again. You're right. I mean, Liam Williams, half penny, been there a long time. What does he? What does he do? Does he do something? Does he? Does he put Rizam in there so he can he can have um, Dyer on the wing along with Adams? Um, it's an option, um, being an exciting option. But um, but at outside half, you know, such a such a such a key position. And clearly, Costello was, you know, part part of part of his World Cup brief was to to gain that experience. Um, and and it doesn't look as if he's going to be fit for the start of the Six Nations. Yeah, I think the latest on him was out till January, doesn't it? So it's going to be a real fitness race. So you're right. I mean, the, if it's if it's anywhere into mid late January, there'll be no time to get um to get any kind of game time. Right, let's move on and chat about that now, because again, we did. I mean, we did have this message in. We would have spoken about it anyway, but this one was from uh, Rodri J, who just says Six Nations 2024 outside half discuss. Who's your Who's your money on them, Paul? Well, I think if um, if they if if they if they want a bit of experience, as for Sheedy at Bristol, I mean he's he's playing for them again now, and they've 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 tailored their game this year, so they're kicking more. They've got Dave Dave Allward in there, so he's 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 been coached by Oaks. I know when he first came into the Wales camp, that was their big concern was his was his kicking out of hand. Um, I mean Owen Williams is currently injured, but he's he's not going to be up for for too long, is he? Um, and then you know whether. Whether Costello will be fit, I mean, you know, Costello would 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 be their first choice, but but I think I mean, Shidi's had a you know tough eighteen months, um, mm. you know, with 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 family issues, but you know, he's um, he's he's he's, he's, he's certainly worth another worth another look, and I think Alex King is is in Bristol this week, having a running the rule over him. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that is certainly the the player who's got. I mean, I know he's only got 16 caps. We've got a lot of experience with Bristol. Uh, we're not expecting Costello to be fit. I think the the kind of the wild cards. I'm not. I, I wouldn't necessarily just base this on the weekend's performance, but I think Yoan Lloyd has got some real footballing ability that you would you you're going to want to take a closer look at. And again, he's what I need. Still only 22, I think, and yes. he's gone to the Scarlets with a view of playing outside half and. I think that's where that's where his strengths lie to me. I think you know I, he's is he good enough under the high ball to play top level fifteen? Is he um, you know is he perhaps physical enough to play in the centre? But everything else about his game, you know the the the, foot, the pure footballing ability, I think lends himself to being a really creative ten, mm-hmm. and that's something that um, you know that I think Gatlin would like to would really really like to have. You know, is someone who is able to unlock a defence and. Um, so I think I think they'll I think they'll take a good hard look at him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the squad. Yeah, I remember talking to Pat Lamb about him a couple of years ago when he was at Bristol, and 
Lamb saw him as a 12 eventually because mm. he, he was playing all over the place. You say fullback, wing, centre. He played played fly half a couple of games for Bristol, certainly in the Premiership Cup. I can't remember if he if he did in the Prem. Um, so he, he, he I think scrum half is about the only position he didn't play. Mm. Um, but yeah, Lamb saw him eventually as a as a 12 because of his um, his distribution skills. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Um, and again, that versatility can go one or two ways, can't it? It can yeah. be a be a help or an yeah. hindrance. You know, you ask kind of Austin Healy or James Hook and James Hook, classic, yeah. Players with brilliant, um, you know, brilliant natural ability and versatility, but never really seem to nail down one position at international level. And um, and I think both of those had best positions as well. I think you know, I think Hook was a ten actually. And I think that you know, Healy was probably a wing in my eyes, but um, um, yeah, I digress. So I think they'll they'll be in the mix, but certainly if you're looking for someone, because there's going to be a lot of upheaval within that squad, um, and particularly at ten and fifteen, I think Sheedy is probably the one who has the most the most all round experience to slot in there. I suppose Owen Williams has more experience, but. I get the feeling Gatlin's not massively fussed on him. I think the fact that he didn't take him to the World Cup, I think probably speaks um, probably speaks volumes. Actually, you know, he had a couple of opportunities in the Six Nations, and then you know was on the training camps, didn't make the final cut. I think I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I'm I'm not entirely convinced that Gatlin rates him that highly. No, no, I don't. I'd agree with that. And 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 again, I mean, he's he's had a number of injuries, isn't he, in, in mm. recent years, including a bad hamstring. One which, when he was at Worcester, I think he kept him out for months and months. Um, so the fact he's got another one, um, but he's, you know, it's again he's 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 competent. But what you saw in the World Cup, and 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 this will not alarm Gatlin, but but certainly, you know, because for deep thinking was, you know, against um, Fiji, when bigger went off and there was no Anscombe on the bench, yeah. and again. Argentina when he went off, you know Wales, Wales not crumbled, but they that that this they lacked a bit of direction, didn't they? And and you know against Australia when he went off, Anscombe was there. Yeah, and the difference, you know, and that's that that is something which which will um, which which will get him thinking. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was noticeable in all those games, not having necessarily, you know, I, I think Costello is a really, really bright prospect. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, again, he's got all the, the attributes to do it. I, and I really hope, um, I really hope he, he continues to progress. But again, he he was a work in progress during the World Cup. Yeah. And, you know, I suppose now is the time, you know, for all the talk of four-year cycles and, and everything else, which I think is overplayed to a certain extent, the bit that it's not overplayed in is in terms of player development. And that's where Wales was so far behind under Pivac is we didn't have, we didn't develop players through. There's too much chopping and changing and you ended up with a lot of players kind of, I suppose Sheedy would maybe fit into that, you know, into that mould as a player who, you know, was neither fully backed nor, um, nor discarded. It was kind of a bit, bits and pieces. And, um, and I think that that's the that's the concern is you know when you run through a lot of players and you don't find out whether they're good enough and give them enough experience then you um, you don't benefit across the the course of that World Cup cycle. But you know by the time the next World Cup rolls around, I fully expect a player like Costello to still be in the mix. Um, but right now it's going to you know I think there are going to be some some really tricky games ahead because of the the lack of options really. Yeah, no, no, I, you know I'd like to look at. Costello before the um, before the World Cup, you know, I mean, stands on the line, doesn't he? Take mm. take take 
game to to, to defences. Brave lad, and you know, checking the interception in that last game. I mean, that that happens, doesn't it? I mean, big has been big has been there himself, hasn't he? So, but as, as was Anscombe a few years ago against Ireland, yeah, the Viva yeah, as well. Yeah, but it's you know a, t- a test of a player at that level is how quickly you 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 get rid of it. Some like mm. you know. What I like about Marcus Smith, you know, he tries things, he makes a mistake, doesn't dwell on it, mm. but get the next one right, and that's you know, and Costello looks if like he's got that same attitude. Because we've always seen, you know, I suppose I know he hates the term Warren Ball, but you know, we've seen a certain level of directness to to Wales over the course of those um, those most successful years. To me, it felt like there was something a bit more up the sleeve. With, yeah. with kind of Alex King, um, yeah, even if it was only set play moves and things like that, first phase, I thought they were hugely effective during the World Cup. And I think it shows an ambition to want to yeah. produce players you, who can unlock you know, defence without just force. Yeah, you think, you know, the Warren Ball is, your, your 12 is hugely important. Mm. You know, James, you know charge, charging over the gain line, scattering defences, quick ball, and you know, either, either kick it or, or try and get away. Whereas, you know, Tompkins was... was as influential, but in a very different way, a far more uh, sort of create, creative way. And um, you know, yeah, I told you had a very good World Cup and a good partnership with North. You know, North. Um, you know, a few years ago, the thought of North, you know, sort of playing at playing at outside centre, you couldn't see it. But he's he's it's it's say mature him because he's he's in his thirties. But he's certainly it's given him a, a a level of responsibility that he's you know, and he's he's, he's raised his game to that done very well I think yeah and to say that you know even I think when you and I chatted in August we didn't have a clue who the centre partnership for the World Cup was going to be and it went you know it went really well so you know I fully expect to see those two um, partnered again but at the same time you know I know four years is a long time and um, I wouldn't be surprised to see players like you know Max Llewellyn back in the mix at some point you know who actually I think is a lot more than just a a crash ball merchant. I think he does have some good footballing skills in the mix as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I, to me, I feel like that key position is is ten rather than having two footballers in there. I think it's just you know, in Dan Bigger, you had the ultimate, the ultimate professional, the ultimate um, competitor, someone who made incredibly good decisions, and his game management was, was impeccable. And what he offers under the high ball, I just wonder whether Gatland would you know would. In- would like to inject a bit of a bit of creativity into the into the ten mold, as we saw him do with Anscombe in twenty nineteen before the injury, and yeah. uh, you know I, I think he you know as much as he played direct rugby during those years, I think he's always wanted you know creative spark in there. You know he loved Shane. Shane was you know I mean I know he's world class and we're one of the best players ever, but he wouldn't fit the mold of a of any Kiwi coach really, would he? You know the famously being you know being a, a small winger. Whereas I think, you know, if you've got someone who can unlock defences in any way, I, I do think that's something that um, that he'd be keen to have within his back line. Well, when they've had small wings, they tend to be rather feisty, like Grant Batty. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but no, but no, you, but you, no I, I, I think you're right. And also, you know, uh, I mean, the question for the Six Nations this year and, and, and probably all the way through to the World Cup is, is how are you going to... Get the better of Ireland and and France, England. You'd expect to be better under Borswick. If he, I don't know if he'll stay with the formula that um, got them within a the minute of beating South Africa. I hope not. But um, and 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 you know Scotland. I mean, not not again, not their best World Cup, but 
you know, given given the the draw they they had, didn't do you know, that badly against against South Africa, and for a while they were um, had chances against Ireland. So you know, certainly, how are you going to beat or match France and Ireland? Mm. Not going to be. It's not going to be a physical thing, is it? I mean, obviously you've got to you've got to compete with them physically, but you, that's not going to be the difference against those two teams. I don't think it'd be the difference against England either. So you've got to have you've got to have something something up up, up your sleeve. Something it's you know it's 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 going to be scoring tries, is it? Not not kicking penalties. Yeah, I think so, and and also the you know I know when the World Cup came right down to the business end, you know, particularly that semi final against England. Uh, with, with England, South Africa, sorry, things got very, very tight, and it did come down to penalties, as happens in World Cups. But I think the there is a, a desire amongst most of those sides to want to play rugby and score tries within the Six Nations. And the pressure, although Six Nations means a lot, you have one every year. It's not every four years. So yeah. I think that that you know that closing up at the end of a World Cup is is, is natural. It happens most. It happens most of the time. But with the Six Nations, I think there is, you know, teams will be going out to score tries, and I think that's that's where we're yeah, right. That's where Wales have got to, you know, are going to yeah. have to, and, to and, find some yeah. more. And you know, you look at certain areas like back row; they've got stacks of options. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, the, I mean, again, Gatland pulled a rabbit out of a hat with Jack Morgan, didn't he? Both as a captain and and as a and as a player, one of you know one of the, one of the players of the, of the tournament there. Um, I mean, I don't know how he's, how he sees Falato going forward, but you know, Wainwright's. He's got him playing really good rugby again, and and you've got got other other good back rowers com- coming through. So that's that that's well well stocked, um, and so the you know, the the ability to to create they showed, you know, they, I mean that you know that that was the key thing against Australia, wasn't it? They could, when they needed to, they 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 could create. Similarly against Fiji, with with far less possession, you still scored still scored four tries, didn't they? And it's that you know if you can if you can harness that, yes, as you said, you you you, know, you, you look at the power of, of, of France and Ireland, but it's it, it's not all about power with them, is it? They got a, they got a lot lot more. I mean that that France South Africa game I thought was the um, that was my favourite in, in in the World Cup. I mean, mm. some of the rugby France played were terrific, and I think any other side would have would have folded, but South Africa. Pfft, Okay, three tries were were, were counter attacks, but that, that's just the, the the incredible resilience, the the ability to find a way, which you know got them got them another 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 World Cup, and for that reason, you'd have to say it was deserved, even if I hope New Zealand would do it in the final. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know deserved is a real. I I've never really massively agreed with it in a in a rugby sense because. You know, did France deserve to beat South Africa? No, because they didn't. No. Did, they, did they play better rugby? Yes, but did you know? Did South Africa put up high bombs that the French couldn't deal with, and then take their opportunities when they happened? Yes, it's nowhere near as much fun to watch, and it's nowhere yeah. near as you know as, as technically skillful. But you get the same amount of points for for scoring a try off a fumbled high ball as you do a work of genius, and. Um, and it's, it was a real shame for the tournament because I think you know if France had oh. gone had gone deep, it would have been it, from every perspective. I think it would have been an, an even better World Cup. Um, but um, yeah, I think you know it, that kind of 
thing about deserving victory is ultimately, you know, unless you are completely robbed by a hideous referee decision that <laughs> is unforgivable, then I, I don't think that, um, yeah, I kind of, I've never, I've never really thought that that argument stacks up particularly well. No, no, I mean, I mean, you're right. It did, it did sort of spoil the World Cup just as the, in 2007 when France beat New Zealand when they were last. So it was that, to me, that, that, that spoiled the World Cup, which, um, uh, which against South Africa won. But I think, you know, France alone of the, of the top five sides in the rankings at the start of the tournament, they alone were ones when presented with three points would, te- would go for them. Mm-hmm. The others tended to, to look, look for seven. And perhaps that, um, you know, in the, didn't get a bonus point against Uruguay, did they? Again, and they kicked a few penalties in that game. And maybe that slight conservatism cost them, even though they they did, did, they, did they get four tries against South Africa. Sydney got three, didn't they? Um, but they, you know, Ramos kicked a couple of penalties, um, a few penalties. And if they'd gone a couple of instances for the seven pointers, maybe they'd have, they'd have won that game. They didn't quite reach high enough, and they they paid paid for it. Maybe, yeah. But then again, Thomas Ramos scores that conversion. Oh, is it? oh well, yeah. yeah, it's all ifs and buts, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and likewise, South Africa against Ireland in the in the pool stages, like we said, you know, if they'd have had yeah. a goal kicker on the pitch, they'd have they'd have probably won but that they, but, game. But I think I think yeah, I mean again, you could see that in the quarterfinals, the pool stage. You know, France, France, New Zealand, uh, Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand, South Africa. know that it's not the end. Whatever, whatever the outcome, there's another chance. Quarterfinal, there's no safety net. And the difference in the attitude in both of them in those games, it was a real, real step up, wasn't it? From, um, from, 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 from the group defeats, real, real step up, and, and and France and Ireland couldn't couldn't match them. No, you're right. But then again, you, you kind of look at the final and go. New Zealand had opportunities to take the three points in the South African yeah. twenty-two, with down to fourteen. And I think if that's a if that's a rugby championship game they would have played out exactly the same way and you get away with it in a rugby championship game. Because even if you don't win, you get an opportunity to bounce back next week. World Cup final, you don't. Points are at a premium. Well, they, and I think you just, in that in that scenario, you take them. Well, they, I mean, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, I remember picking the team of the tournament at the end and I went for Pollard at, at South Africa, mm. even though he only started two games. And Mwanga had a really good tournament. But Pollard won South Africa the World Cup. He nailed that penalty at the end against, against England. Mm-hmm. And he he kicked all his his points in the final, and then you look at New Zealand's try, Moanga misses the conversion, and then a penalty from virtually the same place that Pollard landed it against England, and Barrett missed it. Mm. There's a difference. So they had their even you know even playing a long period with 14 men, so New Zealand still had the still had the opportunity to win that, and they they couldn't take it. I mean, it's, it, I mean. Ice runs through the veins of those South Africans, isn't it, Craig? They are. They yeah, are. They, 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 they. It takes an awful lot to distract them. It does indeed. Now, when we come back after this break, uh, we're going to talk about another South African who is uh, who is Welsh qualified and whether he might feature in Warren Gatland's plans. Uh, and then we're going to have a wrap up of um, of the URC news as well. So, all of that coming up after this quick break. Right then, Paul, before we get into uh, the URC wrap-up, um, we were chatting just before we came on air because there's a guy who's caused a bit of a, uh, well, if not a storm, has certainly kind of um, piqued a bit of interest. Um, and that is a guy called Cameron Hanacorn, who is a back five forward for the Bulls. Um, he 
played it largely at number eight this season. Excellent performance against uh, against the Scarlets, um, and again, she came. I think he came off the bench against Cardiff and showed uh, showed more promise. Now he is only twenty one, I believe, and is also Welsh qualified. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's a grandmother um, that, that makes him Welsh qualified. This question was posed to Jake White um, before the uh, before the game at the weekend. He didn't seem to be particularly um, <laughs> um, particularly happy about. Uh, um, well, if not happy, you know, I, I, I don't know if he was massively interested in um, uh, in a, one of his players going and playing in Wales. But do you think that's because um, we have said before that number eight is of all the back rowers that Wales have produced, number eight it really has only been. It's only been Falatau when fit in the last, you know, in the last decade or so. Moriarty and Wainwright have done big shifts as well. But is this the kind of thing that you think Warren Gatlin would be exploring? You know, an extra player who's, you know, he's got to, isn't he? Just, just as Greg Townsend has to. He's, he's, he's got to. And um, you know, I mean, Falatau. I mean, he's probably still got a bit left in him, but I mean, you know, been been terrific player, and he's great rugby brain on him, isn't he, Falata? Superb, superb number. Not he's not the biggest or the most destructive, but but you know, he he thinks thinks his way through. Um, super, you know, one of one of one of Wales's best players, the professional era, and and and, and be, beyond that. So, I mean, this lad looks a bit of a bit of a wrecking ball, doesn't he? He made what nearly nearly ten meters of charge mm. against Scarlett. <laughs> But I mean, I think he's 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 tied down for a couple more years in South Africa, isn't he? And um, I mean, and and you know, if he's that destructive, French teams are going to be eyeing him up anyway. It's, it's whether Wales's best chances if he felt you know he wouldn't play international rugby unless he unless he came to Wales. Yeah, and I think that the thing is, if he was just a second row forward, you might say that okay, that's that that could be limited because again, seemingly there is no end to the talent that South Africa produced in the second row. Number eight is perhaps slightly is perhaps slightly different. Again, there's lots of there's lots of prospects there, um, but it could well be a position that that opens up a bit more in the you know it, during this World Cup cycle. So my gut says he's going to want to he's going to want to stick it out and play for and play for South Africa if, if possible. But I may well be wrong. Well, that's what Jake White will tell him, isn't it? Because mm. Mullen's packed in now, isn't he? So so as you say, there's a vacancy there. Visa still. Still based in in Leicester, I suspect there'll be a move to get him to go back to to South Africa. But um, you know, South Africa, especially with their bench in mind, as we talked about before, they love their second rows who can play in the background, vice versa. And and he clearly he clearly fits that bill. And you look at someone like Mostert, you know, again one of one of maybe the more unheralded players that mm. South Africa. I mean, his ability to you know to to to, to play across the um, the back five makes him invaluable. For South Africa, but certain, certainly this, this this lad is 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 you know the impact he made makes attack and defence be it's exactly what Wales needs at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And actually, you know, it, it's something that I've kind of mentioned it quite a bit in in recent months is that need to kind of find X factor players that are just going to add something completely different because I think it was kind of lacking during the Pivac era. You had lots of players who at one point in time were, you know, and, and their kind of star had, had faded a bit towards the end. And, and we saw kind of them, you know, being moved on by Gatland. But I think there's a lot of young players around that squad who can do things that that perhaps others can't. You know, I know Lewis Rees-Samet is has got loads of experience now, but he is still 
outrageously quick, even at international level. Oh. And I just yeah. wonder, you know, to go back to our point about do we play him at 15, I think it's got to be worth a look to see if you can have him mm. as Dyer in the same side. Mm. And that will frighten teams, you know, because if their kicking game is slightly off and you can hoover these up, can we, you know, can we start to build a really good counter-attacking game uh, from fullback, just based on, you know, from fullback and wing based on, on sheer pace. And, you know, again, I think you look at perhaps a player like Dav Jenkins, I think he's got a huge ceiling on him. You know, um, Derry Lake, again, you know, not Wales's first choice hooker by the end of the, the tournament, but he's got a massive future ahead of him because he's just so, he's so combative. He's so, um, you know, we know his darts can sometimes be a little bit off, but I think there is, you know, there is a degree of um, intensity that I think he's got, he's got all the capabilities of being a, you know, being a Lions player. And and I think that's the thing you just kind of got to hone in on is, is who are these players who are able to, um, to do things that, that others can't, that are just going to give us a bit of, um, yeah, a, a bit of an advantage over the next few years and make us as, as competitive as possible. Yeah, and your you know, Lake's captain side, you've got Jack Morgan as captain, and David Jenkins led Exeter on the weekend. Mm. So, you know, getting leadership experience as well, which is... which been valuable in the, over the next four years in what is is going to be a younger side than than uh, went went to, to uh, France. Yeah, it is. But as we all often said, and you've mentioned the the bench, that strength and depth is going to be important, um, yeah. and it, it always is. What's your thoughts on you know the regions as we know are going to have to rely on a lot more homegrown talent um, due to budgetary constraints? Do you think that that is going to be something that's going to going to benefit the the Welsh side, or is it? actually going to leave a lot of players kind of a bit of, I don't know, perhaps being overexposed at a younger at a younger age in their career? Yeah, it could be, it could be a bit of both. I mean, you know, you're talking about Hanukkah. I mean, okay, South African, he's young, so that they, in terms of market value, they're not the highest because of the weakness of the, of the, of the run. But, mm. you know, if somebody were to go for him, I mean, how is that deal funded? And, and you know, does the Welsh Rugby Union have a policy, as it has had in years past, if you, you know, if somebody like that, becomes available that they you know they help they help raise the funds so that you're not expecting the regions who already got low budgets which are going to go down next season having to plunder a disproportionate amount on 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 one player and if you you know if you maybe if there is a like an exiles policy to try and try and boost you know playing resources with guys from outside then i think it's going to need a a separate fund otherwise Otherwise, the, you know, the regions wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it. It's a but, separate but, fund, or that twenty five cap becomes zero cap, and you let someone else pick up the wage bill for someone who you are picking yeah, for the national yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I you can understand why the why the twenty five cap rule exists, but I mean, as long as the regions are performing as they are, I mean, you, you know, unless unless something changes, none of them are, will be in the Champions Cup next season, will they? No. And is that you know is, is is that is that good for Gatland? Whereas, I know I don't think it is. He's never placed much um, emphasis on form in the in the no. Pro Fourteen or whatever it has been at various points because you have so many mismatches. You know, you, you know. I mean, look. I know they're trying to put a, they're, they're putting a big marketing spin on the URC now, and it's popular in Ireland because it works for Ireland. Scotland have no other choice. I think most Welsh supporters don't don't really like it as a league if I'm on, I I may be you know attendances would, would probably would probably attendances that reflect that don't they uh, yeah they do because if that game is you know 
you know, I can't remember what the attendance was the week before for, for Dragon's Cardiff, but it's significantly north of that. Um, because there is something, there is something on the line because you recognize that there's a rivalry there. Um, what was my point, Paul? Um, I've got my, what, as usual, my brain has wandered down. Let's slag off the URC. Um, oh yeah. So the, the, the competition still now as it ever has been, it's been stacked by mismatches. Leinster can put out a third team that beats the Dragons first team, all of these kind of things. You don't, it, it doesn't give uh, an international head coach enough of a, an indicator as to whether a player is good enough to play international rugby. The, the, the Heineken Cup always did that because it was a significant step up and that level of intensity gives you a steer as to whether players are there. So if, if they're all playing in the Challenge Cup and, um, you know, are playing uh, yeah, what is essentially a tournament that no one really wants to be in, uh, then that, that's not going to be ideal preparation for, for international rugby. No, whereas they can, you know, those who are based in England have, have got a very good chance of, of being involved because, what, eight of their ten clubs are in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it is slightly, uh, slightly mad situation. Um, there were some tech issues this weekend, which I don't think has helped the, uh, the, the profile of the, of the league massively as well, most notably in the, in the Dragons game, but where communications went down between the... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, between the touch judge and the and the referee, which no one seemed to notice. Not that I, I think it would have made much difference for for Dragons, but nonetheless, again, it's not it's not a great look for a you know a seemingly leading league in the world, is it? No, it isn't. I mean, and there've been a few issues with, uh, uh, I say, facilities, um, technology at South African grounds as well, didn't yeah. there? Yeah, there was for the. I think that was in the Scarlets game the week, a uh, couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, weren't able to to, to get the right um, the right camera angles and things, which, yeah, is not um is not ideal. Um, as we start to wrap up, then Paul, I wanted to get um your take on this one. It's another listener's question. Uh, I'm just going to double check because every time the account is called Rugby Twenty Four Seven, and I always forget his name, so I'm going to double check to make sure I can find it. I think it's I think his name is Neil. Neil, if it's not if your name's not Neil, I, I apologise. Um, but he has asked us um, of all of the Welsh regions, which one is the biggest cause for concern? Ooh-wee. I would say ospreys. Would you? Yeah, simply because, and and you know, I think I think that they over the years they they would they were the one who really tried to to to, to make it. Work as a region, mm. um, probably because they, you know, they were it was Swansea and, and, and Nice coming together. I know you meant to be Aberavon, my stake as well. But they, they really, they really did make an effort. But my worry for them is they don't own their own ground. Um, so that you know, come come match day, other than ticket sales, and that, that, I mean, one of their gates this season was what three thousand seven hundred. Yeah, the zebra game, I think. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, that says it all, doesn't it? Um, but you know, in, in in reliant on investors, then aren't they heavily reliant on investors? I mean, I think you know the the lesson of the Premiership carnage um, was was you know very much you need your own ground. I know what's there, but they were badly run. But you know, wasps built up a huge pile of debt because they didn't have their own ground, and then overextended going to Coventry, London Irish. Rented for years, and and and, and again, you just couldn't generate enough income. So that would be, that would be my worry about about Osprey because they, and I, I mean, I don't don't know the politics of all, but I mean, this 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 was a facility built by the local authorities, is that right? I think so, yeah. 
So why why is the football benefiting and not and not the rugby? Why aren't both? Don't understand. Don't understand that. But it's um, it's 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 not it's not it's not great for them. But you know, I mean, there has been talk about going to St Helens, isn't there? But there's been yeah, there's been numerous things over the years, and I mean, St Helens seems to be the one that that um that kind of rears its head most frequently. There was there was talk of a purpose built place, Llandarcy uh, maybe, but um. I yeah I think St Helens is the one that seems to be kind of mentioned um repeatedly so I mean if if that were to happen you know would that again alleviate alleviate those fears um to a certain degree or again is the it, investment yeah. that goes into redeveloping it again a, a big concern in terms of short term costs yeah and, and 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 you would have to redevelop it because I mean the, the um the old standards are gone isn't it I mean I mean I've, I've been several games at St Helens where it's packed to the rafters and mm-hmm. and it's such a it was one of those grounds but you did lots of little nooks to fill, wasn't it? So yeah. you get, didn't it? I mean it, it was hosting hosting rugby internationals wasn't it? In, into the fifties into the sixties as well, maybe just but certainly certainly in the nineteen fifties it was international. So I mean the, the potential is there, but I think that's what you want for Ospreys is to have a have their own rugby ground. Um but as as I say, I mean I you know, I hope I'm wrong on that because they are they are the one of the four who I would say most deserve to succeed. Mm. Yeah, and I completely agree on those points about uh, about trying to make regionalism. God, is that the word? I'm going a bit mad here, Paul. <laughs> regionalism, yeah. yeah, good. Um, yeah, you know, to, to try and make regionalism work, and you know, I, I suppose things like Australia, you know, does sound a bit yeah. trite at times, but they, they've definitely done a lot with you know with those you know with those feeder clubs to try and bring them into the yeah, yeah. into, I mean, the, into yeah. the equation. And they, you know, and they were told at one point by the Welsh Rugby, you can't, you can't deal with with the clubs in your area. Leave that to us. I mean, that's so what a waste. Yeah. What an absolute waste. I mean, the, the politics gets getting in the way again. I mean, that was, and it's, I mean, you know, they brought some big, big names to, to Welsh Rugby. You know, you were talking about it earlier. I mean, some, you know, some of the biggest names in the world game came there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you you can't. Um... I think you know, we've spoken on numerous occasions to different players in that side, and every one of them said that they should have won something. They should have won something big. You know, I know they did pick up titles along the way, but everyone felt they should have had a European final or a, a European Cup in them. And the, the quality of the, the team on paper, it was all Wales's best players, really, wasn't yeah. it? You know, Phillips, Phillips and Byrne and Shane Williams and Hook and Henson and um, and everyone else. And then the, the international talent was, was just incredible. Holler and... Holler and Collins and Tier Tier and all Marshall. of these players, Marshall, you know, just added so much. Um, so much Tommy, Tommy Bow, Tommy Bow was a great signing for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, all of these, all of these players, you could only dream of, of bringing a, a player of that into of that kind of caliber to to any of the the Welsh regions. Now yeah. it's just you know that's how, how stacked it is. Um, and yeah, I remember they had two two um, European Cup quarters, and they won at Saracens. When Saracens weren't anywhere near the force they are today, and 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 one against Beerritz in San yeah. Sebastian, I remember going over for that. And I mean, I mean, Osprey should have won, wasn't it? I mean, it came down to it was an intercept try or something like that. But but most of the match, you thought Ospreys were going to win that, and yet just couldn't quite. But as you say, that was that was that was their time to to really to really win something. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, I. I suppose to to leave it on this point to finish, as we say, we've we've seen kind of four home losses this weekend. Is this what we can expect now? You know, do do we are we fully kind of expecting all, all of the sides to 
certainly for this season, um, to be struggling to to kind of get get to get wins over the lines. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's depending on on how 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 often they can play their strongest available side, isn't it? I mean, you go back, you know, that Wales Barbas game. Mm. You know, on the same day that Scarlets play colour, I know they're playing each other, but um, it's how often they can they can they will they be able to get their their strongest teams up because they need they need to be pretty much full strength, don't they? Oh yeah. And 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 you know, with I mean, I don't know what rest periods are um, with Wales um, and, and and obviously injuries. I, th- I think you know certainly. I mean, you know, Os- Ospreys at full strength. I mean, they should. Well, we saw in Europe when they last season. You know, a squad that's perhaps yeah, you know, not hugely different. Leicester. They won, won at Leicester. Won at Leicester. Won, you know, won at um, beat beat Montpellier. Should have should have beaten Leicester at home as well. And you know they they had, they had a great they had a great run, um, and really, again, it kind of all seemed to click when Owen Williams came in. They had that experience at ten, yeah. um, whereas they didn't have it because you know Anscombe was struggling for fitness and Jack Walsh was kind of cutting his teeth. So it was all kind of you know kind of came together fairly last minute. I, I think in terms of who's going to be the most competitive on the pitch this season, I still think that their squad is probably the the one that's best cut out to do it. Um, you know, you look at you look at Cardiff. I think they they've you know put in some admirable performances, but again, they've got one ten really. Um, you know, outside of that, you're relying on on Ben Thomas doing a shift, or or um, you know, uh, R.L. Robson came off the bench for them um, at the weekend, and he left the Dragons years ago. You know, has been playing Championship rugby ever since. So um, yeah, good luck to him. I really hope he. You know, I'm really hope he's, he's able to. Um, to get some good performances together, but it does show the the kind of um, the lack of time and resources that they've been able to to recruit these these squads on. So I think out of all of them, you know, the Ospreys look like they've got the most competitive squad if they're able to get the you know the, the bulk of them on the pitch at the same it's, time. It's it's always going to be difficult for Wales, more so than than than, than, than Ireland, even Scotland in a World Cup year. Players hmm. are coming back late. They rest, they come back. Um, you soon be into Europe, and then you've got Six Nations, and then so in terms of being able to generate real momentum, I think it's I think it's. I mean, you know, Leinster they got they could put a third team out and be pretty competitive against anyone, isn't it? I think it's. I think World Cup year is always very difficult for for the Welsh regions. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right. And then there's yeah, more um, more uh, URC rugby to come, and it's not long until we're into Europe again, where we'll see uh, um, kind of see the acid test uh, there, even if it's in uh, even if a lot of the regions are playing in the second tier. Uh, but Paul, it's been great to chat to you again. Thank you for um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for answering those questions as well. Thank you to everyone who sent in listeners' questions, and uh, thank you as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some great quality coffee you can do that we're going to uh, socoffeetrades.co.uk and um, also if you haven't caught up on all of our specials from during the world cup period go back and have a listen because there's some in there that um, will still be relevant today they're not all world cup previews so we had a great chat with james stafford um, about his new book we had a brilliant chat we we're just talking about st helens there with paul uh, we had a brilliant chat with ryan herman who um, 
wrote a book called Remarkable Rugby Grounds. St. Helens is one of the ones in there, actually. So go back, have a listen to all of these uh, if you haven't already. And uh, Scott Otten, our, um, our good friend, uh, formerly of the Ospreys and uh, and now uh, our sponsor at So Coffee. We had a great chat with Scott, who uh, undertook a massive physical challenge during um, the World Cup to raise money um, for motor neuron disease. Um, uh, so, yeah, have a little listen back to those as well. Uh, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.